you today? Do you believe it? Amen. Amen. We come with expectation. We come with hunger. When you have expectation, the Lord meets expectation. When you expect something from the Lord, that's when he connects with you. So it's important that we come with expectation. So we're talking about, uh, we're going to finish up the series on Fresh Start. And uh, we're talking about finishing well, but we also want to talk about how to start. Right? So it's a new year. It's a new dream. It's a new vision. It's time to get going, isn't it? No? Maybe not? Yeah? No? It's like take. So, yeah. So the, king, the way the kingdom of God works, God is always moving us forward. It's now forward. This is how the Lord works. So I'm, I'm going to throw, throw that first slide up there. So Sherry challenged me to put, I used to put my slides on the screen, so I stopped doing that. So then she did it last week. And so she's like, you need to put your slides on the screen. I'll do her sexy voice. You need to put your slides on the screen. And I'm like, yeah. Anyway, so she did it. So I'll, whatever. So say this with me. The goal of life is not to exist, but to live. Does anybody want to live? We don't want to exist. We want to live. The glory of God is man fully alive, St. Francis. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that to the full. How do we have life? Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. People are empty and lost without a vision. Where there is no God-given revelation, that's the interpretation. Where there is no revelation given from God, the people have no life. Acts 26, 19, therefore King Agrippa was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. So we're not just to have a vision from the Lord. We're, to, we're not just to have a vision, but we're to have a heavenly vision. This story here in Acts chapter 26 is like one of my favorites because of like the context behind it. Paul is in chains. He's on his way to Rome. And so this king, King Agrippa, is calling Paul forward and asking him to answer for his life. He wants him to answer for the message that he's preaching, and he wants him to answer for what he's been doing, as if this king had that authority. So you can imagine, Paul was living in a dungeon. They didn't have nice prisons back then. He lived in a hole in the ground, and they call for Paul to be brought forward. And so Paul comes slinking forward in chains, in this worn-out, shot-out rag of a robe that he was most likely wearing. And this king asks him, give an account for your life. Give an account for this gospel that you're preaching. And the first thing that Paul says, it's right before this verse, he says, I think myself happy, King Agrippa. How in the world could a guy in that circumstance be happy? How in, a guy, how in the world could a guy in that situation be happy? And he says, I think myself happy because I was true to the heavenly vision. You see, things in life don't satisfy us. I mean, we've heard all of this. You know, we hear that. You know, we, we hear it. But like if you... And put all your time into, like, a family, you quickly realize that the family doesn't satisfy you, does it? No? Anybody here? Anybody married? You know, I mean, I'm not saying sat your family doesn't bring you happiness. That's not what I'm saying. But it doesn't fulfill you. You get that new iPhone 15? Yeah. And then three months later, they come out with the iPhone 16. And you're like, no. You get that brand new car? And then sometimes the next year they come out with a different car. These things, they don't satisfy you. They have a meaning and they have a purpose, but they don't satisfy us at the deepest level of our being. What satisfies us at the deepest level of our being is when we have a vision. Throw up the next slide, Alex. Then when you have a vision, a goal, a purpose. Uh, anybody here have a vision from the Lord? Yeah? Anybody have a promise from the Lord? Where you feel like God has promised you something. God has told you something. You, you see? So what, what, what inspires our life, what brings life to us, what God has designed us to do is receive life from him. And one of the ways that compels us in life is a heavenly vision. 
a vision that's beyond the natural, a vision that's beyond the circumstances. At the end of the day, nothing matters. I was talking to a guy last night. He's got stock portfolio, massive stock portfolio. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything because you're going to die and leave it to somebody else. I'm putting a bathroom. I have a little house on the backside of my, house, on my property, and I'm putting a bathroom in. And so at first I was like, I told, I was telling Sherry, I'm like, I'm going to hire somebody, you know, because I used to do this work. I used to remodel and all this stuff. And so I was like, I'm going I'm to hire somebody because I don't want to do the work. And then I have the, the, the guy come out, and uh, the lowest bid I have, the last guy comes out, and he's like, uh, it would be 6000 I'm like, is that for everything? He's like, no, that's just to lay the pipe. <laughs> So I'm out in the backyard with a jackhammer. <laughs> For two days, my head was like this. I'm walking around like this. <laughs> and so I'm doing all this work back there. And George, uh, guitar player, was there. And he was helping me yesterday. And um, we were doing some stuff. And so long story, I, I just told him, I said, I'm doing all this work, George. So putting all this work into this, making everything really pretty. And I said, and at the end of the day, he, and he, he finished the sentence for me. He goes, you're going to leave it to someone else. And I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. No matter what we do, there's things that we enjoy. And I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer or the whatever, David Downer, if you've met, you know, that offends you. But, you know, like I don't want to be a downer on this stuff. But at the end of the day, no matter what we do, unless God's glory is attached to it, it is meaningless. Meaningless. It's dust in the wind. You'll leave those stocks to somebody else. What we do bring that brings glory, those of you that are part of this building fund and that are part of this building campaign, you're doing something that's meaningful to the kingdom. There's value to that. There's reward. Anything you do with Jesus, for Jesus, to push his kingdom forward or to do, serve his will, he rewards it. He rewards it. So it's, he says, bring a cup of cold water. That's why Phoenix brings me water every week. Because he's like, I'm getting my reward. You know, bring, honor, the, honor the prophet. Bring a cup of cold water. You know, bring a child in my name. What he's trying to do is establish this, this thing that anything you do for me, I will reward it. Corinthians tells us anything we've done for ourselves will come to nothing. It comes to nothing. If we do not attach a kingdom value to that which we do, if we do not attach a kingdom value to our visions, our purposes, and our lives, there's no eternal reward for it. And how many knows eternity is a little bit longer than your, you know, whatever, decades here on earth? It's a little bit longer. And you not only are rewarded, you're given position based upon your servitude and your interaction with the Lord. And that's another story for another day. But people that acquire things and do certain things, there's nothing wrong with the acquisition of things. But the acquisition of things is to, be, is to serve a higher end other than self. Other than self, the culture teaches us to be self-terminating, that everything end begins and ends with me. That's not, that's not what the kingdom talks about. Everything begins and ends with him. So everything is for him. Everything is to him. Everything is through him. No matter what we do, we take whatever God has blessed us with, whatever God has called us to, and we align it with him. So God, with the way life comes to us is the Lord will give you a goal. If you feel lifeless, it's because you don't have a purpose. If you feel lifeless, it's because you don't have a vision. You don't have a mandate. You don't know what you're supposed to be doing in the season that you're in. The Lord will give you a mandate if you'll listen. The Lord will give you a goal if you'll listen. The Lord will give you a vision if you listen. If you have the vision, the Lord... So oh, let me say it this way. If God gives you the vision, God gives you the goal, and God gives you the mandate, He will back it up. He will back it up. If you come up with the idea, and it's your vision, and it's your plan, and it's your idea, there's no guarantee. He won't back it up. God does not guarantee to back up your plans. 
There's no, he doesn't, he doesn't guarantee that. He just doesn't. Man's ways comes to destruction. God says, if you choose your way, I'm not, I don't, I'm not supporting your way. This is what people think. They think God's going to support their plan. God's not supporting your plan. God supports his plan, and God supports the plan that he gives you. And he's got an amazing plan for you, but God will give you a goal. The goal will bring, say with me, say with me. well, I don't know which way to go. Goal, vision, purpose, vision, mandate, some version of that. Say this, when the Lord gives me a vision, we'll just settle that, it will bring me out, it will bring me up, it will bring me through, and it will bring me over. That's what God does. The vision will bring you out of your current circumstance, will bring you up out of the pit that you've been in, will bring you through what you've been, what's been holding you, and will bring you over. Oh, yeah, come on. Yeah. When God gives the vision and God gives the goal, that's easy to him. He'll give you that vision and goal. You don't have a vision. You don't have a So what happens here is when we get the vision and we get the purpose, that's the easy part. We just hold it up, and the Lord has given us a promise, and we're like, wow. The Lord said he's going to do this with my life. The Lord says this is what's going to happen in my circumstance. And we get that vision and that goal. That's easy. The, the difficulty is in these two steps here. The hardest part is starting. Starting. As long as it's held up as a vision, it's just a fantasy and it's safe. When starting, it become, everything, it just got real. When you start something, it gets real. You understand what I'm talking about? That's where all the risk comes in. Say this with me. All of us have fear. All of us have vulnerability. That's what one of the things that prevents you from beginning what God has told you to do is because you're afraid and you feel vulnerable. Your fear of failure is overriding your desire for gain. If God, what you need to know is if the Lord told you, he will back it up. But in between, you have to be willing to start and you have to be willing to go through this wonderful thing here called process. In between the vision and starting is a path called process. And Jesus loves process. He loves process. I can't stand process. He loves it. Do you know why? Because he's not interested in this. He's interested in you. And the process is what builds the relationship with you. And that's what he wants. He takes you through a process and shows you you're not capable. You need to rely upon me. You need to connect with me. I was just talking to this teenage girl on the phone. So whatever. Somebody just called me and said, would you call, call so-and-so? And Charmaine's daughter's like, you know, she's going through a really hard time, Pastor. Would you call her and pray for her? And I'm like, who am I calling? And then she tells me who I'm calling. I'm like, oh, okay, I know her. And so I, I, I had her on the phone. And she's saying, She's saying, you know, I just, she's saying all these, really, you know, I'd pray for her or whatever. But one of the things she said was she said, one of the things that I learned through this church, and she's a girl 17 years old, so I'm, I'm like, okay, all right, we're, we're winning, man. You know, one of the things I learned through this church is to trust the Lord and to keep going. This is a 17-year-old telling me that. And I'm like, it's exactly right. And I told her, that's what I told her. But in between here is this process. God, say it with me, the Lord is not interested in my character, or in my comfort, in my comfort, he's interested in my character. That's not American gospel, that's kingdom gospel. God takes the process to build the character of your life. He turns you into someone you wouldn't be without it. Because what happens when character is strong, weight can be supported with it. 
God's glory, God's, you, every, every single person, every, every one of you, you have a weighted calling. You have a weighted destiny. There is a substance to your life that the Lord wants to lay upon you. You know it. You feel it. You, can't, you don't know where it is or even what it is, but you can just sense it. You can sense it. Without identifying it, you can, you can feel like there's something, there's some meaning here. And it's a glory of God that he desires to put over your life. The word glory is weight. But God cannot put the weight and the substance of who you are over your life unless your character has been built. Without character, it will collapse every single time. Every single time it will collapse. And so that's the thing. So God takes you from this. We have to start. We have to be willing and yielded to the process. The process is reliance upon the Lord. A continual constant reliance upon the Lord. Keep going, all these things. I'm going to talk a little bit about it, but I just want to give you like a little bit of an overview of, of, um, of that. So the myth is that life is easy. Say with me, life is not easy, but I have Jesus. <laughs> Happy day. Life's not easy. I don't know who told you that. Instagram told me life's easy. Instagram's not telling you the truth. This life's not easy. All right? It, but we have Jesus. We're to have a vision, a goal, a purpose. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, I do not run as if I'm running aimlessly. I do not fight like I'm beating the air. Without a goal and without a vision, we are running aimlessly. We are running. Some, some people are like, that's my life. I'm running, but there's really no direction to what I'm running towards. You're running aimlessly because you don't have a goal, a vision, a purpose, a direction. Or you're beating the air. You're fighting, but you don't even know what you're fighting. You're swinging punches. <laughs> It's throwing haymakers, and you don't even know what you're swinging at. With a vision, you can throw the right punch. With a vision and a goal and a purpose, you know the direction that you're supposed to be going in. So here's the deal. This is, I'm going to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want to kind of overview it. We talk a lot about this from time to time. So the, the, the way to get a goal and a vision, number one, is what, what do you want? What do you want? Well, I just want what Jesus wants. That's what I hear Christians say. And I want to go... Well, what does Jesus want? Well, I don't know, but I just want what Jesus wants. The way you know what you want is you ask the Lord, what do you want? Ask him, what do I want, Lord? What do you want? So I, I shared this in first service. It's like, what do you want? I want a Ferrari. Well, why do you want a Ferrari? Because I want to have a nice car. I want to drive a nice car. I want to flex something. Wow. No. no, you don't really want a Ferrari for that reason. You want a Ferrari because your perception of that having that Ferrari will give you some sense of meaning and importance so what you really want is significance. You really don't want the Ferrari. The Ferrari is a representation of the deeper need that, that you have to be significant. So now you start asking God for significance. Do you understand how this works? Yeah. What do you want? I want a successful business. Well, why? Meaning, importance, okay? I want to help people. I want to provide jobs. So really what you want to do is you want to have influence. You really are not really looking for the, this, the business. That, that's secondary. You understand? The, the, those are secondary motivations. You've got to identify your primary motivation. Wow. And when you have your primary motivation, you can ask the Lord for your primary motivation. Lord, my heart's desires for significance. Teach me to be a significant person. Begin to develop me, establish me, lead me, guide me, point me, whatever, however you want to frame it in that significant direction. Lord, I desire influence. I desire meaning, right? I desire love. I desire companionship. You know, I desire to help people. Helping and all those things, those are influential things. 
in, in, those, are, those are three primary things. When I learned my core motivations, I learned how to pray and ask the Lord. And I'm not going to get too deep in it. It would take me too long to explain. But one of the things I realized about myself is I'm looking for is I'm looking for significance, I'm looking for influence, and I'm looking for legacy. Yeah, those are the things. Those are my core motivations. And how did I find them? By finding out the stupid things that I wanted. <laughs> I want that. And I was like, you really don't want that. No, Lord, I, I do want that. No, you, that's not really what you want. Now, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, well, keep asking the question until you find out what you really want, until you find out what your core motivation truly is. And now I don't make any decision unless it's aligned with those things. Does this have significance? Will this be influential? And does this have a legacy of comp component attached to it? Can this succeed my life? Will this go past my life? And that's, that's the, those become your core motivations. So when you want a vision from God, you gotta figure out what you want, what you want, right? I want to have a family. Well, why, I want to get married. Well, why do you want to get married? Well, because I want to have children. Why do you want to have children? Because I want to raise children and I want to, I want to see the, my children serve God. Ah, so you want legacy. You want legacy. You want to build something that's greater, that, that endures past your life. Yeah? So there's, there's more to it, but that's just kind of like a, a simple thing. But understanding what you want is really key. Most people have no clue what they want. They don't have a clue running aimlessly and throwing haymakers, trying to get things, and then they get it, and they're like, no, this isn't really what they wanted. They want the relationship. And then they realize, no, this isn't really what they want because what they, they didn't want the relationship. They wanted a core value that they thought was going to be received through that relationship. They want the car, and then they get the car, and then they realize, I don't like the payment. So what they really, no, I'm just kidding. But they, what they really don't, what they really wanted is something beyond the car. There's nothing wrong with a car. Those things are secondary. They're secondary. When you get that primary motivation, everything changes. Everything changes. Your life begins to change. Sometimes what happens when you get the primary motivation, and this is what I've experienced, is I had to cut back on all of the other things that were not in line with my primary motivation. And I had to completely downsize my life from all of the stupid things, and I'm still working on this, until I could get back to the core, and then from the core, now I'm building things, only things that are influential, significant, and legacy. Those are the only things that I'm doing because I was involved in too many things that were not significant at all. Meaningless. There's no significance here at all. I have very little influence in this area. I have very little ability to affect change in this area. So why am I doing it? Why do I care? This thing isn't going to go past my life. This thing is going to last six months. Why am I investing in this? Why am I giving my time to this? And so I have to, but you have to, on my life, and so will yours be, you'll see that your life is cluttered with things that are not related. This had, no, I didn't share any of this in first service. So you're all getting some good stuff right now. You should be writing this down. This is gold. This is gold. And so it took me years. And so everybody is involved in things that are outside of their core motivation. The majority of your life is nothing but noise. Meaningless noise. You don't want to hear that, but it's true. And so you have to cut that stuff down. It takes a while. I've been working on this for a while. I'm getting there. People keep, still try to push me into areas that I don't want to go, and I'm like, no. But you need to do that. I'm like, no, I don't. No, I don't. That has no, no, that is no alignment with the vision that God has placed upon my life of significance, influence, and legacy. That is the vision that is upon my life. Those are my core motivators. And if they're not in alignment, then they're gone. I don't want it. And so I'm even trying to create 
a detachment from all of the responsibilities. I don't want them. And at this point in my life, I don't care if people get mad at me because I, I'm not. I'm not, I, I, I don't care. They get disappointed because, you know, I, I'm not doing what they want me to do. I, I don't want to do what, I want to do what the Lord is calling me to do and has designed me to do. And I want to move in those arenas and I want to move in those directions. But that does not happen until you begin to understand this. We all want stuff. We all want stuff. Stuff's not the issue. Stuff's not the issue to Jesus. The goal's not the issue to Jesus. The process is the issue to Jesus. The process. Now the Lord's processing me in those ways. And we have to go through these things. So that's the deal. So what season of, so what is it that you want? What season are you in? So let's just take this. So I threw this one out there because this is pretty good. I feel like the Lord is going to do some things in people's lives this year. And one of the words that I believe he's going to do and he wants to do is financial independence. Right? Yeah, amen. So last week I'm standing right back there and I hear the Lord telling me some things. And so he tells me, you know, I want you to believe me for financial independence this year, which I'm like, yeah, you know, and I'm like, can I release it over the people? And of course, he's like, yes, Kevin, release it, you know, declare it over the people. And so and, and what, right when I was standing right there and right before I came up in first service, and that was what the Lord was telling me. So I was trying to work through it a little bit. While I'm standing there, some dude comes up and puts a silver dollar in my hand. Right while I was standing there thinking about financial independence, some dude comes up and says, I feel the Lord telling me to give you this silver dollar. No lie. I showed it. You know, if you were here, I showed it. Yeah, as if to say, I mean it. So, where, so the vision would be financial independence. So if the vision of life is financial independence, if that's the vision for this season, what season am I in? I'm in a season where God is telling me and driving me towards financial independence. Well, where are you at in relationship to that? Are you, you know, so, I, okay. So if you want financial independence, this is fine. So... <laughs> I don't want to put anybody off, but realistically, you're not going to get there by being a wage earner. You just aren't, unless you really re re reach a level within a corporation where you're making significant money. Most people can never reach financial independence by simply being a wage earner. Now, when I say wage earner, it's just your job that pays your bills and does all that stuff. Now, if you move up and you're making, you're making good money, that's fine, but you're technically still not free because those people aren't going to pay you six plus figures to sit around and do nothing. So you're going to be working 55, 60 hours. You're going to be in the grind on that. So you're not even, you're technically not even free, right? Financial independence means you have revenue sources that enable you to live life in a manner in which God can prescribe. It doesn't mean you're on the water. It doesn't mean you're driving a Mercedes. It doesn't, none of that means. It means you're free. It means you're free. You got me? This is, this is the point. Maybe you're on the water. Maybe you're driving a Maybach. Maybe you're not. I don't know. But that's not the goal. The goal is being able to go where God tells me to go, fund what God tells me to fund, and be free, to be beholden to no one. That's what it means. In order to do that, you're going to need more than one revenue source. So let's just talk about that. People say, I want to be financially independent. I'm believing God for financial independence. I'm like, I'm working a company. I'm like, well, what's the ceiling of where you're working? You know, well, the, the, the you know. The company maxes out at, I don't know, I'll just use something dumb. The company maxes out at 50 grand in my position. I'm like, you're not going to reach financial independence at $50,000 a year. You can, you can survive on $50,000 a year, but you're not going to be financially free at $50,000 a year. So you're going to have to enable yourself with other streams. God fed the garden with four rivers, not one. Garden of Eden was fed with four rivers, not one. Multiple streams. So when you talk about multiple streams of income, it's in the book of Genesis. Multiple streams of resource is in the book of Genesis, right? We act like that's some new vision that we came up with. It's in the book of Genesis. 
right? God feeds the garden with four rivers. So where are you in relationship to that? Are you building? So you're saying like you're sowing seeds. You're doing things that relate to your financial independence. Are you in a spring? Are you in a summer where you're already kind of on that road and you're managing what you have and you're trying to build into what you have? That's a summer. Are you in a time of harvest? Are you in a fall where you're bringing in what God has told you that you could have? Or are you in a season of winter? And this is, I'm going to hover here for a minute. Winter is not a bad thing. Winter is the only season where you can rest. In spring, you're working. In summer, you're working. In fall, you're working. In winter, you can plan, you can perceive, you can reflect, you can prepare. That's what winter enables you to do. What comes right after winter? Spring. Every year for the last 2,000 plus years, isn't it? Spring's been coming. Spring comes. So spring's coming. You might be in winter now, but spring's coming. So many people sit in winter and cry a river, suck their thumb, poor me, cry over the harvest that they lost, all the harvest that they lost. I sure, you know, I was talking to a guy in first service, and I was telling him, like, back in the 90s, I had an opportunity to buy real estate on South Beach really cheap, and I didn't do it. He's like, yeah, me too, right? I could sit there and go, I just really messed up. I can't get by today. You know, crying over the harvest that I didn't get rather than preparing for the season of sowing that God is taking me towards. You understand? Winter's a time also where you can learn and grow. <laughs> I'm having to learn something entirely different right now, and I don't really want to do it. But the Lord's like, if you want that, then you will learn this. I'm like, how long is it going to take? He's like, it's going to take as long as it takes, Kevin. <laughs> but if you want that, you're not equipped fundamentally to get that. But if you want that, you're going to have to learn what is necessary to get that. So there's parts where I'm sowing. There's parts where I'm managing. There's parts, a little parts where we're harvesting. And then there's parts where I'm preparing. I'm learning. I'm learning because I'm trying to set something up for another season. I'm trying to put things in place for another season. This, this, this is what relates to that. So if, if that's your goal, financial freedom, these are things that are part of that. Um, you know, is the vision realistic? So what is it that you want? You know, some people look, people don't, some there's, I just want to share this for sure, because there's tons of people that that's, that they're just fine. And there's nothing wrong with, with like, you know, wage earning and working. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, it's ethically and biblically sound. So I'm not telling you that you got to go out and be an entrepreneur and start five business. That's not what I'm telling you at all. I'm simply saying that if your goal is this, then this is where you got to go. That's all I'm saying. If you're fine with everything, then it's good. It's good. You know, you just, you got a good job. You work for a good company. You got good benefits. You got a good relationship. Everything's cool and you have peace in your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But it comes back to the vision that God is telling you to have. You understand? He may not be telling you that. So is the vision realistic? That's the second thing. Is the vision realistic? Here's where we get really unrealistic is when we're trying to marry someone. That's when it gets really unreal. Well, I want, a, I want a guy who's really in shape, who's fit. You know, I've heard of six-pack abs. I want like a 12-pack abs. And I'm like, girl, you haven't been in a gym in three years. How in the world are you going to get a guy? It's like that. Or you get a guy that says, I want a woman who's really sophisticated, who speaks well, who dresses well, all this other stuff. And I'm like, dude, you talk like you come from the ghetto. 
You can't put two coherent sentences together and you want that. That's not realistic. It's not realistic. So I shared it in first service. I'll share it in this service. What happens a lot of times is that we don't see what's in front of us and we neglect what's in front of us or we want something that's outside of the context. I watched this interview and they were talking to all these people that were in their 40s and why they didn't get married. Right? So some of you are going to feel the pain on it. Look, just because you missed a season doesn't mean that God doesn't have another season for you. You, you can, I was talking to a guy last night. I was telling him the same thing. You know, his problem is, is what he wants is completely unrealistic. I said, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have something for you. He has it for you. God's got something for you. But what you're asking him for, you know, I mean, you're on another planet, bro. It doesn't even make sense in a rational world what you're asking for. I have a guy, I'll talk with money. You got a guy, he asked me, you know, I want billions. I'm like, billions? I'm like, you don't even have $1,000. How, how do you think you're going to get billions? And I said, why don't you have a goal of financial independence? Why don't you start there? Or once you have a goal that, with a job that actually pays your bills, why don't we start with that one? And then once you have a job that actually pays your bills, we can start to accumulate and acquire things that move you forward towards another goal. Let's, let's start there. He's thinking he's going to go from negative whatever, you know, I got nothing but student loan debt, and I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm like, it doesn't work like that. That's completely unrealistic. But what is realistic is these steps at bringing you to this place in this time frame. That's realistic. Does that make sense? Yeah. You're like, I don't like you, Pastor. You're shattering my illusions. No, I'm bringing you into truth. I'm bringing you into truth. Out of fantasy, getting you to understand the start and the process. The start and the process. So we, uh, my wife and I, we were uh, associate pastors at this church. And it was a couple. And um, both these, couple, these two people went. So like the, the girl didn't, let's just say she had really long hair. She wore really long dresses, and she kind of walked like this. Okay? Yeah, right? She gets married to a dude that was, like, super nerd, right? We couldn't even believe they actually got together. So this guy's, like, nerd of the century. Nerd alert, nerd alert. You know, he's, really, he's closed in, match, the whole thing. These two get married, right? They get married. They didn't despise. They didn't have some ideal that was outside of their context, you know, they didn't have these crazy ideals. They get married, and all of a sudden, she's at church. This girl's got a cut and a color, and she's wearing, and she's, her hair, she's all like a, a, a completely different person. She found her posture. She's no longer walking like Lurch. She's like, she can now stand up straight. She looks beautiful. The guy looks like he just walked out of GQ. Comes in with a cut and a color. Even his voice, I, Sherry knows this guy. His voice changed. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's going good. Yeah, it's happening. Yeah, right. This, this, this guy became that guy because the two became one. And as the two became one, they transformed within each other. The relationship began to match. And elements that were already there began to emerge because they didn't despise it. Then we contrast that with another guy. And this, is all, this all relates to Sherry. This one does. I've shared this before. But we had a guy. So Sherry used to have... Um, she had a lot of pretty, pretty boys that she called friends. So she had a lot of, she had a lot of, um, she used to hang out with the, with the beautiful people, uh, the in with the in crowd. You hung out with models, dude, you know? So my wife was a model, so it would always be, you know, the, we, had, we were in a church. It was another story. I won't tell you where it is. But there was, a, you know, it was kind of like models were in and out. Sherry would bring friends to church, and one friend that would come with her, um, this guy, um, uh, he wore track suits, and he wore chains, and I call him the fourth member of the Beastie Boys, right? So he was like, 
really like, like that, John Gotti tracksuits kind of thing. And he was really interested in one of Sherry's friends. And he used to tell me all the time, yeah, man, introduce me, man, introduce me. Introduce. And I think I introduced him one time and like nothing came of it. And so he, he was just totally, you know, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs for this girl. And so he, I bring her to Sherry, I bring him to Sherry. I said, Sherry, so-and-so is interested in so-and-so, you know, your friend, you know, kind of thing. And Sherry looks at him and goes, so you're interested in her? And she's like, yeah. And Sherry just looks him up and down. And she goes, well, first of all, if you want that, she is not going to go for this. <laughs> it was like straight into the point. And he's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And it's like, dude, you look like, you know, you're tracked out. You got, you know, got zipped down. You got chains. You know, you're like, yo. You know? I'm like, the only girl, the only way that woman is marrying you is if she's 18 and she's naive. And by the time she's 25, she's going to despise what you are. True. So realistic. You understand what I'm saying? You know, I know this offends us, but I don't think you, we, we really understand. Like what, what God, God has something for you. He has someone for you. Someone. I talked to a woman one time. She's like, well, I don't want to settle. And I'm like, well, what do you consider settling? And so I said, give me your list. I said, she's like, well, I've made my list. I'm like, what's your list? What's your list? She's like, I want a guy that works out. She didn't work out. She's like, I want a guy who's uh, at least an eight. I said, what do you consider yourself? She said, oh, she's like, well, I'm a seven. She said, I want an eight to a 10. I mean, okay, we'll give you that one. And she's like, and she just went down this list of all of these things. And godliness and spirituality was like number five. And I told her, I said, even if you were to find such a unicorn, you are most likely not going to stay married. Because the, the areas of your life that will face challenge is your spirituality, your finances, and your children. And so if you don't have that ready, your, your faith will be challenged. Your faith will either, it's just, it's just, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. You know, the honeymoon wears off. And there has to be something remaining after the honeymoon. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you're like, you guys, you're just totally hating on marriage. No, I'm trying to get you to understand what marriage is. And what God will do for you, God will enable you with something. But you've got to, like, reconcile yourself and ask the Lord, if my ideal's wrong, am I in fantasy land? So there was this cup, there was this group. This guy did this group, and he had these 40-somethings that were all in the room, and he was asking them why they were married. Some of the, why they weren't married. And some of the conversations, the guys were like, there are no good women out there, blah, 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 you know, women haters. Then they interview the women, and the women are like, there are no guys out there, man haters. So we have man haters and women haters in the room. So that was basically it. There's no good guys. I'm like, none, and there's no good women out there. I'm like, none, nobody. No good women, no good guys, none at all. And this one woman stood up, and she actually answered the question very succinctly. And she said, I'm 43 years old. And she said, I spent my 20s and 30s searching for an ideal that was probably 1% of the male population. And she said, when I didn't achieve that goal, I was in my 40s, and the game had changed for me. That is probably the most accurate thing, is because we're pursuing ideals we're pursuing an ideal. Now, it's not like the, the dude's got to be butt ugly or she's got to, you know, she's not ugly either. That's not what I'm saying. But the, people don't match your ideals. They don't match your ideals. You know, she wasn't all that when I married her, and I wasn't all this when she married me. Right? I think I got the better end of the stick because she helped me more than I helped her. Right? So, but nonetheless, 
you know, we, we want people, this is another reason why people won't get married, is they want everything to be perfect. They want the car, the job, the house, the, the, you know, the money. They want everything. They want this surreal environment or they won't marry. It's got to be this surreal. Everything's got to be perfect and it's got to be, who told you that? Who told you that? I got married. We were broke, living on a futon, eating macaroni and cheese and tuna fish. That was my life. Pregnant within the first year, I gained 30 pounds. 30 pounds. I was freaking out. I love Jesus, but I was freaking out. My faith was put to the test. I tell Sherry, it didn't help that there was a donut shop downstairs. She's pregnant. She's like, I got to go to sleep. It's like 630 at night. I'm downstairs shoving donuts in my face. I don't know what I'm going to do. Sherry call. Are you downstairs at the donut shop? No, I'm not. I come home. She's like, you smell like chocolate eclair. I'm like, I don't know. Process. My daughter, so we had birth to my daughter. Didn't have any money. You no, know, we did. We trusted the Lord. I said, Lord, I want a promise. I asked God for a promise when I got married. I asked God for a promise when, and He said, There will never be a need in her life that I do not meet. I'll take care of her. She's my daughter, not yours, and I'll take care of her. And she could tell you story after story after story where this daddy didn't do much to, to, to benefit that. And every time I tell her, Look to the Lord, He'll take care of you. Look to the Lord, He'll take care of you. Whack, whack, whack. Whack, whack, every time, yeah? It's not without process, but he does it. He does it. He takes care of you. He'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. So you have a vision. You want to get married. That's a longing of everybody's heart. Get married. The Bible encourages it. It encourages it. Say everybody's dysfunctional. Yes, so are you. So are you. You know what I'm saying? She's got issues. They said a guy used to tell me, he, he come to me every girl he'd get these great girls wonderful girls and he'd be like oh man she's got issues she's got issues and and my sherry again would ask me she's like what happened with that and, and i said oh, he said she's got issues and sherry looked at me and she says and he does it you know i'm like bro you're a bag of cats man have you looked in the mirror I'm like you know you're worried about everybody else's issues you should be kissing the ground that she's even interested in you <laughs> We all got issues. That's why we need Jesus. We need Jesus, the heavenly vision. Okay, how do we get a heavenly vision? So what do you want? What is the desire heart? Core motivations. What are you looking for? Is it realistic? Then we're going to look at this. What is the heavenly vision? Habakkuk 2.1. How do we get a heavenly vision? How do we get a heavenly vision? Some of you guys are going to identify with this. Habakkuk is in the middle of a world that is chaos. He is surrounded by pure chaos destruction, violence, everything. And he's like, Lord Jesus, when are you getting me out of this situation? When, Lord? How long is this going to go on? When am I getting out of this? And he tells Habakkuk, go step up on the, on the top of the wall and look. So Habakkuk is asking for deliverance, and God gives him a vision. Some of you are asking the Lord like a crane to come into your circumstance, grab you and lift you out and take you to a, you know, fairyland. He may do that. He may do that, but the percentages are low. When you want transformation, God's going to give you a vision. When you want out of something, he's going to give you a vision. That's what he told Habakkuk. He said, go and I'm going to show you something. Habakkuk says, so therefore, I will stand my watch. I will set myself upon the rampart. The rampart is the place where you see. I will raise myself up and I will see. I will look. And I will watch, here's the prophetic right here, I will watch and see what the Lord will say. 
He's going to see what God says because God speaks in vision. God speaks how his prophetic works. And I will not, and I will allow him to correct me. There's a big problem right there, right? You want a vision. You want your marriage fixed. I want my marriage fixed. I want my marriage fixed. I want my marriage fixed. Right? God's going to fix your marriage. He's going to give you a vision. He's going to show you. There are things that you can control. There are things that you can't control. He'll show you. He'll show you the vision. But will you let him correct you? Will you? Will you let him correct you? Always in the vision, there's a correction. Because in the vision, if there wasn't need, a need for a correction, you'd already be doing it right. But he's going to correct you. I told you to love her. You don't love anybody but yourself. I told you to honor him and stop cutting at his robe and nipping at him and tearing the brother down every time he walks in the door. I'm going to give you a vision to correct your family. Are you going to listen to me? Stop running your children down. Stop talking down to them. Find a new way to talk to them. I don't know how to talk. Well, then come to me and I'll teach you how to talk to your kids. Lord, show me the heart that my children have so that I can speak heart to heart. Not my ideal to their ideal. You understand this? When, we want, when you want, we want deliverance, God will give us a vision. He'll give you a plan. A plan. He'll show you. You won't like it. You won't like it. I'm going to give you a plan. I need out of my financial circumstances. Here's the vision. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I need you to do that. I don't want to do that. Okay, well, then here's another plan. I don't like that one either. And the Lord will tell you, you're going to stay where you are. He'll correct you because you're too afraid to move. That's a correction. You have fear. No, I don't. Yes, you do. You have fear. No, I don't. Yes, you do. He'll give you a vision, but he will also correct you. We've got to let him correct us. We act like he's fairy Jesus. He doesn't correct us. He corrects us all the time. Whom the Lord loves, he corrects. If we weren't children, he wouldn't correct us. But because we are sons and daughters, he corrects us. He will correct us. Guys, surrounded by calamity. We're to partner with a corporate vision, a kingdom vision. I'm not going to get into that too deep. I'm going to keep going. So what keeps us from starting? Distractions are the number one thing that prevents us from starting. This is Luke 9, Luke, 3, Luke 12, I think. Luke 9 and Luke 12. One guy comes to Jesus. Jesus is like, follow me. I've got a kingdom vision. I've got a purpose. One guy goes, I got land, man. I just bought land. I got to go check out my land. I got to go develop my land. I can't. I can't, Jesus. I got my own thing going on. Another guy says, I got a wife, bro. She likes to shop at Neiman Marcus. So I got to go make the coin so I can keep my lady happy. I got a wife. Can't do it, Lord. My wife's not on page with the vision or my husband. I have a new car. He said, one guy says, I have six new oxen I have to try out. I just bought a ride, Jesus. I haven't even gone on my first road trip yet. I got to take care of my wife, my car, man. I got to flex my 22s. I got to, you know, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. Another guy says, I just built a house. Let me first enjoy the house that I built. Then another one said, my father promised me an inheritance, but I got to wait till he dies. So once my old man's dead and I get my inheritance, I'll follow you. <laughs> Jesus said, you're not worthy of me. You have excuses and distractions. You have to get rid of the excuses, get rid of the distractions. A heavenly vision is yours. God's got a heavenly vision. There's nothing wrong with all of these things, but they cannot be our excuses to not follow Jesus. Your property cannot be an excuse why you don't follow the Lord. Your marriage cannot be an excuse why you don't follow the Lord. The car that you drive cannot be an excuse why you don't honor God. You get me? No, none of you do. Yeah. It's getting real quiet in here. Like, I'm still licking my wounds over the, I can't marry a 20-year-old. I'm still, you know, upset about that. 
Too close? Is that too close? <laughs> okay. So I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll say, I said what? <laughs> Matthew, so another reason we, they, we don't finish well. So wh- why don't we finish well? Why don't we start? Distractions. Matthew 13. Jesus is talking about the seed. The seed is the potential. The seed is not just the kingdom, but it's also the potential. God will sow a seed. He'll sow a seed of calling. He'll sow a seed of vision. He'll sow a seed of purpose. And somebody falls by the wayside. Nah, doesn't matter. The crows eat it up. Some falls on, on light soil. People start. As soon as it got, gets tough, as soon as the process starts, as soon as the adversity sets in, they just wither away. Two of the seeds rooted. Two became nothing, two rooted. One of the seeds rooted and bore fruit. The other seed rooted and didn't bear fruit. And the reason it didn't bear fruit, it was too distracted. Too distracted. It rooted. It was a plant. It's kind of like my banana. I have a banana palm. I rescued this banana palm out of a ditch, right? I saw this banana palm in a ditch. These tractors were there, and it was all beat up and everything. So I took this banana palm home with me. Yeah. I put it in the ground, I water it, you know, I'm coaxing it, getting it's big, it's beautiful now, it's happy, but it won't give me bananas. <laughs> I'm laying hands on it in the name of Jesus. Bananas. Bananas. I don't even know what kind of banana it's going to give me, but, you know, they have different bananas. They, you know, Sherry tells me about this banana that she had when a kid, it was a vanilla banana. I was like, a vanilla banana? Maybe this tree's a vanilla banana. So anyway, I don't know. But it's a tree that rooted, came back to life, but won't give me any fruit. You understand? It's distracted. Yeah, well, it's distracted. It's not in the sun. It's in the shade. It seems happy in the shade. It's big, big, and beautiful in the shade. So we get distracted. This is why we don't bear fruit. So why don't we finish well? It comes back to this. It's the same thing, loss of focus. We don't finish well. So people, people that can get the vision, people that can start and start going through the process, either people don't have a vision, they have a vision and refuse to start, or they start and won't finish. Won't finish. Why don't we finish? Because we lose focus. It's easy to lose focus, isn't it? Yeah? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. There are people in Hollywood that are paid to pull focus. Their whole job is to make sure the camera's in focus. Make sure the camera's in focus. Make sure it's that important, is that focus has to be maintained. We're going to assign a person to maintain focus. That's your one and only job, maintain focus. Second Samuel. So what happens here is you have David who loses focus. David is an example of somebody who loses focus. It says in 2 Samuel, it says, In the springtime, at the time when kings go off to war, David sends Joab out with the army. He stayed behind, and, uh, and he woke up in the evening and saw Bathsheba. I won't read the whole thing because it's taking too long. But basically what's going on here, David loses focus. It says it's springtime. It's the time for the king to go out and make war. David doesn't do that. So he's not doing what he's supposed to. Then the second thing is, it says he woke up in the evening. What does that tell you? He's been sleeping all day. You know, he's sleeping all day. He's walking around in his Gucci robe, you know, walking out, looking out over the city. Sun's going down. Oh, that's pretty. Whoa, who's that down there? Sees a woman down there, calls his servant. His servant says, his, his servant comes to him, says she is Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam, which was one of his military commanders. So she's the daughter of a guy who works for you, dude. Okay, A, number one, 
B, she's the wife of Uriah. So she's related to someone significant to you, and she's married. And David's like, okay, who cares? Then he just brings her in, and, you know, David lost focus. She lost focus. He was actually the granddaughter. Her, her grandfather, uh, i got to pronounce this guy's right, Ahithophel, Ahithophel. Ahithophel was her grandfather. Her grandfather was one of David's closest counselors. When Absalom, David's son, rebelled against him, Ahithophel re, um, sided with Absalom. And the reason that he sided with Absalom is that he couldn't get over the, disdain, the, the treatment of uh, that what David did to his granddaughter. He couldn't get over it. He murdered, your, he murdered his husband, her husband, and he brought shame upon the family by doing that. And so Ahithophel sided with Absalom and actually turned against David. Crazy story. He made a big mess. So when we lose focus and we make mistakes and we do things like that, it affects things far beyond our own reach. That's what I was sharing in first service. This church must succeed. Why must this church succeed? Because this church's success is relevant to the success of so many other things. Alejandro, my friend on the screen there, he runs a para-ministry. That's a ministry that operates outside of, doesn't function as a church. It's just a para-ministry. World vision, you know, evangelism, crusades, all these different ministries. They're not churches. Jesus isn't building para-ministries. He's not. He's building the church. The para-ministry is reliant upon the church. Without the church, the para-ministry doesn't exist. Without the, parent, without the church, world vision isn't around. All these guys that got their own worldwide ministries, they're relying upon the church. And so the church must succeed because that sh the church enables the success of other entities, of other things. You understand? So the focus and the, the objectives that the church achieves affects things far beyond its four walls. That's why the church is essential. That's why the vision of the church is essential. That's why God puts the church primary. Well, I give my money to the, to the para-ministry. Jesus never told you to give your money to the para-ministry. He told you to support the local church. The only thing that Jesus is building is the church, period. Ecclesia. You say, well, what's the church? We're going to have that conversation, really? We're going to have that conversation? For 2,000 years, the Holy Spirit's been showing us what a church is. I mean, can we settle that argument now? You know, we don't need to reinvent the church. We don't need to, you know, come up with some new idea. We, we know what the church is. Ecclesia. It's a gathering of called out ones with a mission and a purpose. That's what the church is. Akaleo. It's very simple. The, church is, the church's success and the church's focus affect, it's, or its lack thereof affects far many, a lot of things beyond itself. Your success is relevant to the success of many people around you. Your success is relevant to the success or the failure of many people and places and things around you. It's far beyond yourself. Do you understand that? I hope. So what happens? Why people lose focus? David lost focus. Failure to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5. You began well. What did hinder you? Paul's asking this church. He said, you started off like rock stars. What in the world happened here? And what, that, what happened in Galatians, they stopped following the Holy Spirit. He said, having begun in the Spirit, you turn to natural means. You turn to human logic. You turn to doctrine, Right? and threw the Holy Spirit out the window. That's, that's what happened to Galatia. Having begun in the Spirit, do you now believe you can fulfill this in the flesh? The church is a spiritual entity, period. Period. If you don't want the Holy Spirit in the church and the presence of the power, you should go join the Moose Lodge. Yeah, go join the United Way. Because that's what's we're nothing more than a social institution. 
without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what separates us. It's what makes us unique and distinct in a world of common. The Spirit of God, His presence, His favor, His power, His purpose, all of those things are what distinguishes the believer from everything else. It's what makes you uncommon. The world doesn't get the Holy Spirit. Jesus was very clear. He was given to you, and the world cannot receive Him because it neither knows Him nor does it want Him. When you come to Christ, you get Him in measure. When you encounter Him and you give yourself to Him, you begin to experience His fullness. That's a whole different level. Every Christian has Him in measure, but not every Christian moves in fullness. Big difference. Big difference between measure and fullness. Right? Big difference between a little, little glass and a big bottle. Big difference. King Saul was a guy who, who failed to rely upon the Holy Spirit. Saul's problem was he interpreted everything God told him in his own way. <laughs> Saul, Saul had a problem with full obedience. He would define everything in his terms. So the Lord would tell him this, and he would say, well, that's not what that means. I think it means this. And so, so no matter what the direction was, he did it three times. Three times Saul did this. Corrected twice, and he still does it. Whatever God told him, he interpreted it for himself the way that he wanted to see it. He had his own interpretation. Samuel goes to Mount Carmel, First Samuel chapter 15. This is right before Samuel confronts Saul for the last time. And he goes to, Samuel goes to Mount Carmel. And there, Saul had set up a monument to himself. <laughs> Sorry. That tells you everything you need to know right there. Saul has a victory. He doesn't do it the way the Lord tells him, but he gets the victory. God told him specific instructions. He reinterpreted it to the way that he felt like it should be done. And then he wins, and he sets up a monument, not to the Lord, but to himself. At Mark Carmel, Samuel set up a monument to himself. And Samuel comes to him, and he says, Does the Lord have delight in your offerings and your sacrifices as if you were obeying the Lord? Behold. In other words, I'm telling you something right now, Saul. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. What the Lord wants from you more than anything else, more than your illustrious self, you know, more than your Instagram profile, what the Lord wants from you is obedience. Obedience. He doesn't need you flexing to make him famous. He knows how to make himself famous. He wants obedience. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. <laughs> and to heed is greater than the fat of lambs. Why? For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Witchcraft wasn't long before Saul was actually practicing witchcraft. He started practicing witchcraft not long after this. And stubbornness is as the iniquity as idolatry. Not doing what I tell you, you are, is the iniquity of idolatry. The iniquity, the, worship, the issue of Adam, worship of self. You don't want to do it because you worship you more than you worship me. The iniquity of idolatry. Ouch. He was also rejected from being king. Saul could not manifest kingdom. Ready? Okay, here's the big deal. Saul could not manifest kingdom, nor could he manifest kingdom purpose. He could not manifest kingdom, nor could he manifest his kingdom purpose. In fact, he lost his kingdom purpose. Because <laughs> he would not rely upon the Spirit of God, and he, would, and he had a hard time following a small list of instructions. A simple list of instructions. You can't follow a simple list of instructions. <laughs> 
forfeiting kingdom purpose, forfeiting kingdom identity. Forfeited it. Forfeited it. Number three, what else? What's, I, got two, I only got four. I'll be done here very quick. I'm going to make it on time. I promise. I got five minutes. I'll be really close. I'll be really close. I'll be really close. I'll be really close. Taking what is not ours. This is why we don't finish well. Not understanding our mandate and failing to support the leadership. Miriam is an example of this. Miriam was the brother of Moses. She was given a position of prominence. She's right there. She's one of the inward three. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Three, right there, all together. Miriam was, had a position of prominence. She had a place where, of influence. God had given it to her, probably according to her design, but she didn't want to be in the position she was in. She wanted to be in Moses' position. She didn't like what, the assignment that she had. She wanted Moses' assignment. And so she says, who is Moses? <laughs> Moses is a prophet. Do we not all prophesy? Am I not a prophet like Moses? Who is he? Who is he to lead me? Who is he to lead and lead anyone? Watch this. Everybody take a big breath. The Lord confronts Miriam directly. And he says to her, Moses is my servant. Moses is faithful in my house. Why was it so easy for you to speak evil of the servant of my house? Some of you have spoken evil of your leaders, and you need to account for that. Because what happened to Miriam, this is a spiritual thing. You want to come to the inner healing class, I'll talk, I'll talk about maybe not that. But she was exiled from the camp. In other words, she no longer could hold a position within the camp until that issue was reconciled. Her influence was lost. Her position was lost. Her calling was lost. Look, I've had to repent. I've repented many times for speaking evil of my leaders. I have. You know why? Because I've been led. And the people that are led always think they can do a better job than the people that are leading. <laughs> Until you start leading, and then you realize, wow, he wasn't that bad after all. It's true. And so the Lord says, look, he's my servant. He's mine to deal with. He's not yours to deal with. If I got an issue with him, I'll take care of it. I don't need you helping me here. And I don't need you wanting him, wanting his position. I need you in the role that I've assigned you to have. Hmm? And his rebu her rebuke was, I put you there to help him. You failed to build up your brother's house, is what he told her. You are in this position to help him. And you are working against him. You are critiquing him and tearing at him and ripping at his robe. When I put you in a position to help, you failed to do that. Interesting, isn't it? We have to honor the position that we're in. God gives us position. We should fall on my face and give him glory. I tell him, as hard as this is, as hard as this job is, as hard as it is, and it's very difficult, very difficult, right? This job is extremely difficult, harder than anything I've ever done in my life, by, by far. You know why? Because we interface. I don't have some big staff around me, you know, where I just show up, you know, preach a whirlwind message and drop out and get in my SUV and go home. That, that's the typical American church. I, I'm sorry to tell you that. That's true. That, that's not, this church is gritty. So it's on the ground, interfacing, connecting with the people. No rock stars here. Only rock stars Jesus. And so that's when pastoral ministry becomes difficult. It's real easy to be glitz and glam and never interface with the people. But as soon as you start interfacing with the people, you got problems. You got sheep biting you. The sheep are biting you. 
They're pooping on you. They're rubbing their backsides, their dirty backsides on you. Yeah, it gets gritty and raw. And it's not hard. It's not easy. It isn't. The pastors that say it's easy, I just say, look at their ministry. Oh, pastor was over God's ministry. Yeah. You're in a multi-million dollar church. You got 30 staff people around you. You never even talk to anyone except a nice, hi, how are you? Wonderful sermon, pastor. Wonderful sermon. Th that's easy. That's easy. But no matter how difficult it is, and it's very difficult, it's strained me and stretched me in every way. I tell the Lord every single Sunday, it is an honor. It is an honor. You honor me. You honor me. And I will not speak evil of the position that you have called me to. I will not speak down of the position that you've called me to. I will honor you, and I will be faithful in the position that you've called me to. And I will give nothing but my best. Nothing but my best. We have to honor our position where God ever has you. Just wherever he has you is not necessarily where you're going to end up. You understand? I was an associate pastor at a church. I was plunging toilets in between services. I was the guy. All the pretty boys, they didn't call the pretty boys, they called me. They didn't call pretty boy pastor to go plunge the toilet. They called me. Pastor Kevin, we got a, we got a you know, toilet number two is backed up. Toilet number two is backed up with number two. We need you over there now. <laughs> Shop backing. Yeah. First one in, last one out. Pretty boys weren't doing that. I was. I was. I said, you want it? what do you want, empathy? I don't want empathy. I'm just telling you like it is. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what, what, what's real, what, what's true. I did not despise the position. I never complained. I never complained. I served a pastor who was harder on me than anybody else. He was hard on me. Hard on me. Not like disciplinarian, but he demanded things of me that he didn't demand of anybody else. I was first one in, last one out. <gasps> first one in, last one out. And services were sometimes, we had classes, we had different things. Church wasn't huge, but I was first one in, last one out. Nobody paid my parking. I did it for free, worked a full-time job, had two kids. Didn't complain once. No complaints. No complaints. Pretty boys all went home. I was the one. I was the one. I was the first one, the last one. First one, last one. And he expected that of me. But really what was being expected of me wasn't really from him. It was the Lord looking at me. He said, does this brother have the character to hold the weight that I'm going to put on his life? Does he have the capacity to serve selflessly? Because I will not give him influence if he can't serve. There's lots of guys that have influence that don't serve selflessly. And the results are very clear. But I believe they're great. I don't even think I've even touched what God wants. And I'm not saying that to exalt myself. I'm trying to give you an example to understand that vacuuming floors and plunging toilets, nobody sees. And all the other guys would look down on me as if I was the lowly guy. Every single one of them tried to plant churches. None of them succeeded. They all packed it up and went home. All of them. Withered in the heat of the day. All of them. Gone with the wind. Gone with the wind. It's true. Because the character that God creates is to sustain something greater over the long haul. Don't despise the position that you're in. God, amen. God may be intentionally, you may be in a workplace, and God may be intentionally offending you. He's offending you. He puts you in a position that you don't want to have. This is beneath me. 
This is beneath me. He's offending you because <laughs> he's testing you. What's your reaction going to be? Are you going to do your best? Or are you going to complain? Because I can't promote you if you're going to complain. If you're going to whine and backbag and just you know, work against with the place that I brought you to, I can't give you more because you're complaining. But he, so he will put you in those positions just like that, right in the crosshairs. Yeah. And sometimes he'll step down your influence because he's preparing you for a greater influence. And what seems like a demotion is actually a promotion or a testing that God wants to bring in your life. So I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. Absalom didn't, didn't, didn't like the role that he wanted. So we have to understand the role. We're part of a body. We're to work together. We're to work together. Believe God for promotion. You may not like where you are, but believe him for more. But do the best that you can in the position that you are. There's nothing wrong with believing God for more. Nothing wrong with that. I encourage it. But do the best that you can and be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Support the yes. Support the leaders. Indulgence of success. We can look at Solomon. You can look at uh, Samson if you want to talk about it. See, they couldn't handle success. Some of you, one of the test things you're going to, you believe God's going to give you something great. He's going to test you with success. I've watched this time and again. You handled poverty well, but you can't handle success. As soon as success comes your way, you immediately self-destruct. You start doing everything you can to dismantle the success that you have. You no longer honor the Lord. You no longer worship the Lord. You don't need Jesus now. You live in large, you know? Yeah. He tests you with success. And if you can't handle success, you will not be given more. You'll fall apart. Had a guy who was believing God. I share this story all the time. And uh, believing God for all these things, he was broke. He had a lot of money. He lost it. Um, he was unfaithful to God. You know, he was doing his own thing, same thing. You know, successful, doesn't need Jesus, loses everything. Now he needs Jesus. Show me the path forward. Show me the path forward. Show me the path forward. I worked with this guy for a while, helped him out. He was believing God for a million-dollar contract. And uh, I told him different things to do. I told him specific things to do. I said, tithe from your business and tithe from your person. Don't just tithe from you. You know, give the full tithe and tithe from your business. And I said, and as you're giving the honor, the 10%, don't cheat him. Give him the 10% and believe him for what you're asking for. I said, even if it's a sacrifice. Within a year, the guy got almost a million-dollar contract, $975,000 contract that led to multiple more contracts. Then once he got all of these contracts, he sits me down and says, oh, I don't need, it. I don't need to give anymore. Uh, not, not that I cared, but he's like, the Lord has told me. And I'm like, oh, the Lord's told you you don't need to give anymore. Sounds a little bit like you know, Saul interpreting what God says in his own way, you know? So, but he says he doesn't need to give anymore. Then he lost everything very, very, very shortly thereafter. It was a three-year ride up. It was a five-year ride down. But when he went down, he crashed. I mean, lost everything because he couldn't handle success. He did not know how to honor the Lord in success. He didn't, he couldn't handle it. So he lost his marriage. He lost everything. This guy lost everything. Keys to finishing well, focus. I'm going to go through this quick. Focus. Maintain focus. You're not there yet, but you're not going to lose focus. That's what Paul says. I, do not, I forget the things that are behind. I press towards what's in front of me. I'm focused on where I'm going, not what's happened, not what's happening. I'm focused on what God has said. Number two, say this with me. Move under pain. James chapter 1 says, let patience have its perfect work. The word patience is hypomeno. It means move under pain. If you're going to achieve a goal, you're going to achieve a vision, you got to learn to move under pain. Move under pain. It hurts sometimes. You don't feel like doing it, do you? No? You don't want to do it. 
You have to move towards the goal when it hurts. You have to keep going. When every, ready? Okay, here we go. When everyone rejects you, will you keep going? When everyone rejects you, will you stay? Will you keep going? That's the, that's the question. You have to move under pain. Most people can't handle that. And so that's why they don't finish well. They, they get started, but they can't finish because they don't know how to move under pain. They think everything's supposed to be safe and comfortable. Well, who told you that? Move under pain. Number three, understand your mandate and support the work before you. That's Miriam. Her mandate was to stand with Moses and support Moses. She didn't want to stand with Moses and support Moses. She wanted Moses' job. <laughs> Where, what has God called you to be? What has God called you to do? It's called contentment with conviction. I'm content where I am, but I'm convicted to go further. That's what it means. But I'm not going to go further. I'm not going to take things under myself, and I'm not going to make it happen for myself. I'm going to hear the Lord, and I'm going to follow the steps in front of him that he lays down for me. I don't have time to develop that. Last but not least, dependency upon the Holy Spirit. Last, last point. So now when they had gone through the region, this is Acts 26. It's on your screen. Uh, Acts 26. It says, now when they had gone through the region of Firga, and into the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they had come to Maesia, they wanted to go to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit forbid them from going there. Paul was relying upon the Holy Spirit. He wasn't relying upon human wisdom. You understand that? If you're going to finish well, you have to not be relying upon human wisdom. You have to rely upon the Holy Spirit. What he says you do. Which again, it comes back to this concept of relationship. Relationships are hard. Very hard. Very hard, but you know what? Jesus wants relationship. He wants a relationship. So as you learn him, as you grow in him, God will tell you. He will help you. The Lord will instruct you. He'll help you. I, Sharon and I were just talking this morning. I said, I'd rather be slow and right than be quick and right. I would rather, I want to get it right. I want to hear the Lord. I don't want to operate in human wisdom. You know? Another story, another day. So let me pray for you. Just say this, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I give you permission to give me fresh vision in this season. I give you permission to give me a fresh start, to show me a way out, a way up, a way through, and a way over into the things that you have for me. Reveal to me the vision. Show me the first steps. Convict me, Lord, with courage to start Walk with me, Lord. Empower me and enable me through the process on this journey towards this vision that you have for me. I give you permission for this, Holy Spirit. And I ask for your counsel. In Jesus' name, amen. God loves you. We love you. I'm going to bless you. Yeah, amen. Come on. There's a prayer team. Let me just give you a quick blessing. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way, and may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. we got class tonight at 4 if you want to come. All good.